Hi, this is Dave Denton of Dave's Voice Works and Radio Guy Reflections and TurnbuckleTrash.net. Two great podcasts, one about professional wrestling and one about radio. And it's all on Anchor. Now, if you haven't heard about Anchor, here's a great way to make a podcast. Use Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast because, hey, it's free. And they give all the creation tools that allow you to record and edit any podcast you'd like to do right from your computer. Use Anchor. Anchor, the best way to podcast and the best way to listen to Turnbuckle Trash or Radio Guy Reflections. The year 2021 has been another difficult year for everyone. For me personally, it seems like 2020 had an extended warranty and spilled over into 2021. I was let go from my job at the end of January and decided to go into retirement, which I've really enjoyed, mostly. In March, a series of medical issues dominated the rest of the year, but I was blessed to be able to find time to continue with Radio Guy Reflections. And as we close out this year, I want to take a look back with some highlights from each of the podcasts, which included old friends and new friends. As we look back on 2021, we have highlights from three more of our podcasts of this year. We're joined by Randy Oxenbein, whose radio career led to a more technical side of the broadcast industry, working with satellite feeds. We talk about a situation that involved the CBS Evening News and his work with a major religious organization. We also have a conversation with Jim Dillman, a legend in Southern California radio. Jimmer talks about radio, TV, stand-up comedy, and a major motion picture story that might have you scratching your head. We're also joined by Dave Fannin. He'll talk about his love of being as what he called a rock and roll disc jockey and how that has led to a news job where he witnessed presidential politics. Future podcasts on the best of 2021 will focus on more radio announcers you hear every day. We'll also have a talk with sports. And we have an amazing conversation about the state of talk radio. We'll have that all coming up. This is the best of 2021 Radio Guy Reflections. And today my guest is a friend of mine. He grew up in a little small community uh, near Bear Lake, Idaho. Now he's working for KSL-TV and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is Randy Oxenbein. Hi, Randy, and thanks for joining us on Radio Guy Reflections. We met years and years ago, and then we kind of lost a connection a little bit. And I was kind of working two jobs, one at KODJ in Salt Lake City, and then the other job, because I had to pay the bills, and radio doesn't pay that well, I was uh, doing some uh, part-time managing of a convenience store near the University of Utah and a high school called Judge Memorial High School, and they were having a football game that night, one of the busiest nights I'd ever seen at that store, and all of a sudden I heard my name. Now, you fill in the rest because I know you weren't there for the football game. As I recall, you know, you've got such a distinctive voice, and I hadn't seen you, and and uh, I heard your voice, and I, as, as I recall, I just turned around. And it was like Buford. <laughs> oh, it was just so good to see you. Oh. Because the last thing I had heard is that you know you had gone, you'd gone east, and you were working back there. 
but uh, you had made such an impression in my life, and I don't think that you ever really knew to the degree. You were such a huge mentor back then and still are. And so, like I said, when I heard your voice, I spun around and I saw you, and it was just like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. <clears throat> I was I was just absolutely thrilled, to say I, the least. I, like I said, it was one of the busiest nights I'd ever had in that store. I thought we'd go a little bit into the background of what made Randy Oxenbein the fine man that I have known for years. Uh, Randy, we have kind of a similar background, I just found out where our mothers had to take over our raising at yours for a time because our fathers died when we were very young. Your father died. Uh, how old were you? I was eight years old when, when he was killed in, a, in an accident. He was oh. working in a mill, and it wasn't a, a good time. But, yeah, yeah. my mom had uh, me, and I had two brothers. My mom was 27, and we were struggling at best. You know as well as I do, mothers just are amazing because you went through the same thing. How old was your mother when when your father passed well i'm not exactly sure how old she was i'd have to do math and ooh, math i'm bored but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was four years old and my i was the last in my family i was the the bouncing baby boy the only boy the youngest my mom had uh, five children we didn't we didn't have a lot but that has always amazed me about women i think they're a little bit more resilient than men uh, and uh, they'll find a way. And I as I thought we would just uh, praise the women in our lives. We just celebrated my mom's 80th birthday. Oh, wow. uh, we had a family get together up in Bear Lake, and it was absolutely wonderful. This was just a couple of weeks ago, and it was supposed to be a big surprise. She ended up going to church, and we rallied the troops while she was in church. And somebody at church basically says, oh, I understand your kids are here for a party. <laughs> My mom remarried when I was 11 years old, and uh, my stepfather had a ranch. And so we grew up on a ranch, and uh, so we did everything. I mean, we did everything from, you know, taking care of, you know, the critters to going out, moving sprinkler pipe, cutting hay. Uh, But then I had allergies, which was kind of a blessing in a way, because um, I couldn't really go out and help a lot with, with, you know, cutting the hay and doing that sort of thing. But what I did love to do was cut wood. Um, as I got a little bit older, Sweetwater Resort up on Bear Lake was hiring, and so I applied for a job there. And uh, I worked at Bear Lake. I worked starting out washing windows, the patio windows, and doing that sort of thing. And then uh, I also worked as a projectionist at the Center Theater. Um, and it's funny because I was working when I was like 13 years old, uh-huh. and I would drive the car <laughs> into Montpelier to go to work. I remember sitting on some some like yellow pages to kind of look up and over, you know, and then I, you know, run the movie, you know, and while I was running the movie, I do my homework. When I was going to school, um, you know, when, when, when I think back about uh, my direction with everything, um, I think a lot of it stemmed from that small community. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, it was KVSI that was the radio station that was there. Right. And in a small community, the radio station's everything. I mean, it just is everything. If you want to know who's doing what, if you want to know who passed away, if you want to know what the cells are, if you want to know what the activities were, everybody would tune to KVSI. Uh, Keith Martindale uh, was the owner of, of, of KVSI, and uh, and uh, I remember as a Cub Scout, we went to visit the radio station, and and as a kid, a little kid, I remember thinking that, you know, we'd listen to the radio, and I thought the bands were all there at the radio station. Yeah. 
you know. And so when we pulled up to the radio station, this really small cinder block building, I was a little disappointed. I thought, wow, where's, you know, where do they fit everybody inside that station? But then we went in and met Keith, and he was so nice. And I remember he, if, you know, he, he gave us a quiz, and if you could answer it, he gave us some records. And that's when I got my very first 45 RPM record. Whoa, can you, <laughs> what, 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 what was it? you got to remember the name, right? I don't. Oh. I really, I, I cannot remember um, I, because I didn't have a record player. Oh, I remember okay. thinking, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but hey, you know, I won something. Uh-huh. I think it's probably the first thing I ever won. And then radio was never the same after that. Right. Um, you know, we would listen to the radio first thing in the morning when we'd get up. We would turn on the radio to find out whether we were going to school that day. We would tune into the radio to find out what we were going to be eating for school lunch, you know. And, uh, you know, we'd hear what the menu was. And at that point, we'd look at mom and say, hey, can you make me a sack lunch? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever. And then, you know, as we got older, um, we would ride the bus from Paris to Montpelier to go to school. And Roger Hymas was our school bus driver. And he had a radio installed in his in his bus. And so in the mornings, going into work or going into school, we would listen to Paul Harvey. Good day. And, oh, yeah, good day. Yeah, good old Paul Harvey. Uh-huh. And, and that was what we did every day, you know, going to school. We have to listen to Paul Harvey. And so radio became such a, a, a huge part of my life that uh, when I ended up trying to decide on a career um, – I wanted to be a teacher, but I had some people that, you know, basically told me that they didn't pay real well and that I needed to find something a little bit more lucrative. I remember one night as I was trying to figure out, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I turned on the radio, of course, listening to the radio, and then the CBS Radio Mystery Theater came on. Wow. And I sat there and I listened to that. And then the announcer came on and they were talking and somebody had made some comment about announcing and how what a great career it was. And. I thought, you know what? I've always had a wild imagination. Maybe this is a direction that I need to go. Uh-huh. Anyway, make a long, long, long story. I applied for a job at KBSI. Uh, I did that and then uh, served a mission uh, for our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Went over to Switzerland. Wow. While you're on your mission, you generally don't watch TV or you know listen to the radio because you've got more important things to do. But uh, I do remember being stationed or stationed, uh, being yeah. in Germany where there was a uh, a Canadian uh, armed forces uh, network, uh-huh. and uh, I had a friend who was in Switzerland in Germany that let me borrow a radio one day, and I remember listening to the radio, and that's where I heard Star Wars. Uh, we we actually listened to a Star Wars broadcast, Whoa. and I remember thinking. Wow, that is so cool. And so it just kind of reaffirmed, you know, I just, I loved radio. I loved the voices. I loved being able to hear things like that. And I came back off my mission, enrolled in school up at uh, Rick's College, decided I wanted to continue that. And I ended up going and uh, there was a radio station named KRXK. I remember that station for some unknown reason. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember listening to that station. And uh, I had just gotten married, and I remember telling my wife, um, I really want to go work there. And I says, I really have got to meet this this Buford. Because that, that, was, that, was, that was the the name I was going by on the air, which was a nickname. And, and so I, I heard you on the radio, and, 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 and I loved your show. I, lo- you know, I mean, I'd listened to your voice, and you, you had and, – and I loved just the way you did things. You know, I went to, to KRXK, and I met you, and – Oh my gosh, it was it was amazing, and uh, you know the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, you did hire me, 
And uh, I learned a ton, you know, basically at your knees. I mean, I was just sitting there learning and listening and listening and learning. And I'd say, okay, well, what about this? What about that? Uh, you were an incredible mentor. And I, and I do mean that sincerely because uh, not to say that I didn't make my fair share of mistakes. <laughs> we, we all do. Now, I was trying to think of what time frame that you started working for KRXK. And I think it was about the time that we underwent a uh, an ownership change. Yes. Yeah, we had gone uh, from the Ellis family to a company out of Mon- Shelby, Montana. Shelby, Montana. I spent a year there one month, and uh, it was, well, let's just say I'll never visit Shelby, Montana again. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and I remember one thing, and I'm just going to compliment you on this one thing, okay? I remember you being willing to learn and being willing to listen here. I, you know, here we are in 2021 and I still don't know it all about radio still learning. And I, I saw that, that in you saying, yeah, I'm going to find out how to do this and do it right. Well, I was hungry. I mean, I, there, there's no doubt about it. I was, I was so incredibly hungry to learn the business. You were such a great teacher. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I knew basically nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do remember coming to you and I'd say, well, what about this or what about that? And you, the thing that I appreciated about you so much is you would literally take the time, you know, and you would explain things. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we had a great group. It's so funny because when I think back on it, I think about the TV show WKRP in Cincinnati, because really, quite frankly, mm-hmm. <laughs> what a cast of characters we had there. I was I mean, Dr. Really, Johnny really, Fever, I'll tell you that. So, Either yep. that or I was a combination of Venus Flytrap and Dr. <laughs> Dr. Fever. I got that little cool about me, you know. Uh, I remember the general manager, Ken. Oh, uh, yeah. What an incredible guy. What an awesome guy. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, I, I remember him always saying, we need to make a difference for this community. We need to make a positive difference. And if we're not doing that, then we're, not, then we're, then we're failing. And I always remember, you know, thinking about growing up in Bear Lake and what a difference KBSI made to the community. And I thought, you know, this is so cool that Ken felt that same way and tried to make that, you know, he tried to really impress that upon our minds that we were there to make a difference, a positive difference. In, in fact, I do remember, you know, speaking of little foopaws and things, um, I had been there for probably about six months. And Marv and Frank, you know, bless their hearts, uh-huh. bless their hearts. <laughs> bless the <laughs> little pee-picking hearts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would always try to, you know, do little things here and there to get each other, you know, tease each other and stuff. You know, we'd, there had been a snowstorm this particular day, and we had lost power. I mean, I was going to school up at, up at uh, Rick's College at the time, and um, I'm sitting there reading the news. And it's, you know, 5, 5.30 at night, and it's dark outside. It's starting to, you know, get dark. And all of a sudden, as I'm right in the middle of this news story, lights go out. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, ah, power has gone out again. <laughs> well, out of my mouth, <laughs> I make a comment about, oh, my crap. I wish Utah, Light, Utah Power and Light would get their stuff together. Stuff together. <laughs> their stuff uh-huh. together. And about that time lo and behold, the lights come back on. And I hear this laughing, and I turn around and look, and there is Marv and Frank laughing. Uh They had turned the lights off. I didn't realize it, but what I also did not realize was that my mic was hot. 
And the next thing I know, the phone is ringing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you Mr. know, Ken, the red huh? line. Yeah, uh-huh. the red line. Yep. I'm turning red. And I just turn around and I say, we'll be right back after this commercial break. And I stuck in a commercial and Frank and Marv are still kind of laughing, but not, you know, that was the longest walk of my life. Because I thought, <laughs> well, I'm done. I'm done. This is it. I'm I out am of here. so done. I'm out. <laughs> and uh, I remember walking into Ken's office. And he just had that look on his face. And he had a little pencil that he's kind of, you know, bumping against the desk. Right. And he looks at me and he goes, uh, well, he says, I think you made a mistake. He says, I, I, I heard what you had to say. And I just looked at him and what do you do? What do you say? You know, I said, I am so, so sorry. And he goes, two things. He goes, number one, he says, always, always remember your mic is hot. Number two, and I thought, okay, this is where he's going to drop the shoe and tell me I'm fired. He goes, number two, he says, I want you to go back over there. I want you to get on the air, and I want you to have people think that Utah Power and Light people walk on water. Oh, cool. (laughs) He says, you apologize. You do whatever you got to do. He says, but you make it right. I think I did ask ask him, you mean you're not going to fire me? And he goes, well, he says, don't ever make that mistake again or you will be. And I do remember he did ask me, too, what happened, and I didn't say anything about Frank and Marv. I wasn't going to rat on those two. You know, I walk in, and they were kind of red because I think that they kind of thought, oh, crap, they're next. And I just walked in, and I said, nice, guys. You know, just don't ever do it again, uh-huh. you know. And I got on the air, and sure enough, I just basically said, you know, we're so grateful for the Utah Power and Light people that are out there, you know, in this bad weather, making things happen. And I'll never forget that because, yeah, like I said, mics are always hot. But yeah, that microphone things, is always live. You gotta always respect that microphone. Yeah, it happens. It happens to the best of us yes. because um, I can tell you stories at KSL of things that have happened, and I won't. But uh, 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 sufficient to say, I've got a blooper tape. <laughs> I still have a blooper tape. Cool. And uh, oh my gosh, you know, if I wanted to blackmail some people, phew, we could have some fun. Let's kind of fast forward a couple of years now, because after you left Rexburg. Uh, to, to you know, college and all that, you had to move on. Let's talk about yes. after KRXK because that's basically where I kind of lost touch with you. After uh, you had left, you, you I, I think you had gone to Blackfoot, as I recall. That's um, correct, yeah. My intent really, truly was I wanted to have my own radio station. Uh-huh. Um, that was my desire as, you know, twenty as a 23-year-old, 24-year-old. And so I thought, well, you know what, if I have my electronics degree, I can at least work on the station, and that's one less thing I'm going to have to pay for. And not only that, but if I need to have something to fall back on, I'll have my electronics degree. Right. Um, while I was going to school in the electronics department, um, I met a friend of mine uh, in my, one of my classes. His name was Dell White. And uh, he had gone down and had gotten on at uh, KIDK – or no, he had gone down and had applied for a job at KIDK-TV. And he came back and he told me about it. And he said, hey, they've got this one position, he says, that I think you would be really interested in because it's a part-time announcing and some of this other stuff. And so I went to KIDK-TV. I applied for the job. Dell didn't get it, but I did. <laughs> I don't know if Dell ever really forgave me about that until years later when I was at KSL and I actually helped him get on at KSL. Oh, cool. So, so I ended up working at KIDK-TV for two and a half. I was their promotions director. Uh, KIDK was such a small station that you'd go out, you'd shoot your own video, you'd edit your own video, you'd voice your own video. Absolutely loved it. And so I thought, you know what? TV's kind of fun. Maybe maybe I need to shift gears and maybe go in the direction of television. A friend of mine called from KSL 
um, if you'd like to come up and apply for this position. As, as the viewers or the listeners might not know, I'm working from home right now as we speak, and my phone is ringing, so I just had to double check and see who was calling. Okay. Do you need to take it? Um, it's a uh, car warranty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. so, so anyway, um, sorry about that. Lost my train of thought. Oh, but, that's uh, a problem. It was funny because I, 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 I was invited to go in for this position, and I drove to KSL on a Friday afternoon, and I went to and, and uh, the very first person um, I went and talked to was the human resource person. And when I went in, I told her, I said, hey, look, I'm here for this position. And she says, well, I don't know why you're here because they've already hired for that position. And I was like, really? Well, the one thing that I've learned in life is that if you want something bad enough, you have to go for it. And sometimes you just can't take no for an answer. Uh-huh. And so I was up on the second floor in the human resource department. I ended up going down to the first floor, and I could have either let, turned left and gone out the front door and gone home, or I could turn right, go into KSL. Um, I decided, you know what, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I turned right, walked in. The receptionist was right there, and she goes, can I help you? And I says, yeah, I'm looking for the TV director. Um, and I started to scratch my head, and I says, um, she goes, Larry? And I go, yeah, Larry. She goes, oh, yeah, he's just right back there. <laughs> and so she pointed me a direction to walk down this hall. So I walked down this hall. There's another receptionist sitting right there. And uh, I should say this, but, yeah, I lied. <laughs> I, get to the, I get to the receptionist there, and she goes, can I help you? And I says, yeah, I'm here to see Larry. And she goes, is he expecting you? And I said, yes. And she goes, okay, go down that hall, hang a right, and it's the second door. And I says, thank you. And so I ended up walking down and uh, went over to the guy's door and knocked on his door. He was visiting with one of his, his employees there at the time. But anyway, he says, can I help you? And I says, yeah. He says, I was invited for an interview, but apparently they've hired somebody in this other position. But I'm interested in possibly doing this job. And uh, he says, well, he said, I've already got somebody that I'm thinking about. He says, so I just don't know what to tell you. And I said, you're making a mistake. Whoa. You want to hire me. And he just kind of looked at me like, what? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just told him, I says, I'm telling you right now, you're making a mistake. I says, I'm your guy. And he says, come in and sit down. And so I went in and sat down, and we ended up talking for a half hour. And I just told him, you know, hey, look, I am hungry. I am willing to learn. I'm willing to do whatever you need. I says, I will go out and get your coffee. I will do whatever it takes. I says, but you need to hire me. You know, he listened to me, and after a half hour, he says, well, I appreciate your time. And, and I laughed, thinking, well, doggone it nothing's going to happen well on monday i get a call from this same gal who told me that there was no job available and she said i don't know what you did when you talked with larry she goes but i don't get it but he wants to hire you when can you start cool (laughs) (laughs) and so i said i can start on tuesday which was the very next day right and she says great you know then then we'll have you coming down tuesday and um there were just a number of different positions that would open up and in, 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 any, in any job, a lot of times you kind of look for opportunities to grow, and, uh-huh. and it just so happened that uh, I was in a good spot at, at, at different times and ended up uh, in satellite, which is what I've done for the last basically 25 years of my 35 years at KSL. Now, and, uh, we're speaking with Randy Oxenbein, and Randy works for KSL TV. Now, KSL is one of the more respected TV news organizations uh, in, the, in the West. For you to work in the satellite division and behind the scenes, that, that's, that's quite a feather in your cap, man. Part of it is being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And I need to be real careful what I say here. I'm mm-hmm. not going to mention names, but 
Basically, what happened is I was an engineer. We were also doing satellite uplinks for the CBS Evening News. We would get stories from throughout the West, and then we would, we would uplink those satellite. And New York would pick these stories up, Los Angeles would pick the stories up, and they would use what they could. And so there was a rotation of engineers that would go in and out of Bonneville Satellite. And every week there'd be a new engineer going in. The, the computer program was somewhat complex, and a lot of the engineers hated it because they'd forget certain things. And you had to call up CBS, you had to get permission to access the satellite. There were just a number of these different steps that you had to do, and you had to do it at the exact at this exact time. One of the engineers had gone in, and he hated, you know, doing it. He pushed the wrong button. Oh. And what ended up happening is he knocked Dan Rather, the Dan Rather Evening News, off the air for like two minutes. They were basically sharing the same transponder channel. It's called double illumination, and it knocked Dan Rather off the air. Oh. As the story goes, CBS contacted us, basically said, hey, look, there's, there's a possibility of some litigation because of what's happened here. What basically they agreed to do was remove the engineer from the engineering position. And luckily, KSL being the company that they are, they just moved into a different department. Mm -hmm. But at the time, they said, we're no longer going to rotate the engineers in and out Bonneville Satellite. We're going to have two, maybe three guys run Bonneville Satellite. Apparently, I'd done okay because they came in and asked me if I would be willing to work in Bonneville Satellite full time. And I said, absolutely. Yeah, I'll do whatever you guys need me to do. And so that's how I got into the position of, of doing Bonneville Satellite. And it's changed throughout the years to where now our biggest client is the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, we do all their broadcasts. It's been amazing. It's been wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what are your responsibilities as far as, like, you're, you're working right now. And you sent me a picture of, of what you were doing. And it looked like you were monitoring several different feeds. What? The first time everybody asked me, so what do you do for KSL? I tell them, as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Because of COVID, they've got all of us working from home right now. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with technology is it changes. It can be good and it can be bad. So basically what I'm doing right now um, as I'm visiting with you is I've got two uh, big screen monitors that are up. And I'm monitoring feeds that are going out um, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Again, they're also, they are our major uh, uh, client. And so there are feeds that are going out all over the world. The only continent we're not hitting is Antarctica. And uh, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm watching feeds that are going out to North America, uh, to uh, Europe, uh, to uh, South America, uh, Asia, Australia, uh, again, Europe, Africa. And it's my job to make sure that the video is still going out, the audio is good, that the signal levels up on satellite are good. If, if we've got too much power going out. I have to decrease the power. If there's not enough power, like, for example, during a storm, I'll increase the power to make sure that uh, we're able to saturate the, the satellite. Um, so it, it's, it's somewhat technical, but, you know, basically what I do is just uh, babysit some feeds. Um, and, and, and people say, well, gee, how do I get that job? And I tell them, I says, you know, it's fun to watch this, but, boy, where they pay us is, you know, when, when things happen, when, mm -hmm. they're, when, when, when you start to have a problem, you really do need to know what to do to, to fix these problems. And so, and then, of course, on weekends, we have a lot of broadcasts, and I'll go in and... There's a lot of people that listen to this, uh, this uh, podcast that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I know you said, for what was it, 31 years now, you've been 
doing the satellite coordination for the general conferences. Is that yes. uh, 31 uh-huh. years? Yeah, um, yeah, I've been doing it. Yeah, actually, 35 years because 35. there, I actually did the Tabernacle Choir show for 17 years. Wow! And I uh, love that. I, I I miss that. When they ended up building the uh, conference center, uh-huh. uh, they actually have a group of engineers that are full time at the conference center, whereas before they would have the engineers from KSL go over to the Tabernacle and take care of the camera work and setting up cameras and that sort of thing. It's it's, and I'm gonna. Let you in on a little something. I think maybe you and I have talked, you know, a little bit about this. But uh, it's kind of bittersweet. But come October, this will be my very last conference. Uh Um, They are going to be shutting down Bonneville Satellite at the end of December. Wow. Thank you, COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's the thing is that there is change. And uh, they've been able to do a lot of wonderful things with the Internet. And so three of us have been there. I'm the baby you know, 35 years. I mean, we've got a couple of other guys that have been there, you know, 40, 45 years. Uh, some of them are going to retire. Um, I'm still looking at options as far as, you know, what, what, you know, to do. You know, all I've known is broadcasting. The wonderful thing about broadcasting is it's such a fun business to be in. I absolutely love it. Probably con about broadcasting is that it's such a special niche that niche, niche, whatever you want to call it, if you find an area that you're really, really good at, if you want to continue to do that, you're probably going to have to relocate, you know, to another major city someplace else. And, right. and to me, that's just really not an option. And uh, we, we downsized. We actually built a home with, a, with an RV port. We went and got an RV. And so we're kind of winding down and looking forward to just going out and traveling. You know, I, I kind of lament sometimes because I, I look back on, you know, my childhood and the things that I had growing up that small town KVSI radio station where, you know, people would call in and talk about, well, you know, hey, there's a lost dog that's walking up the street. If you know who, has, who it belongs to, you might want to let them know their dog's out. I, I miss those days. What a difference the world would be if we kind of went back to, to some of that. When I lost my job, I wrote up a little booklet that I actually sent to you where I talked about that kind of thing and how uh, sm- smaller stations, because I- I'm just going to say it right now, in a small town, we have the opportunity in smaller communities to do something that people in Salt Lake City wish they could do. And I've, I have found over the years business, which there's nothing wrong with, you know, keeping the bottom line happy. But we've forgotten how we can make ourselves such, a, um, such an integral part of our communities and become so important to our listenership and our our viewership in the smaller communities that uh, unless radio itself can find a way, and I, I'm going to brag on myself, I have thought of ways to be able to do this that I'm hoping a lot of radio stations will uh, take up in the future, but I think we can find our way to going back to talking about that dog that's lost <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and doing it in such a way that maybe using the internet is the way to go with that, and still using our radio frequencies to do other things. But it is going to take time, and it's going to take people thinking outside the box. And you know, it's their money; they can do with what they want. And I have no problem with that, except they forget what the actual charter of radio was: was to serve the community. To 
Yeah, and the, the book that you put together, uh, I loved it. And, and, and I really wish more people would take the time to take a look at that because I'm going to make a prediction here that I think that that's eventually what's going to happen. I think that there are people that are going to realize the value in that. But Randy, let's talk more about positives here. I know during a career that you've had, you've had to have some incredible experiences that stand out in your minds. While I really love my job and I'm loving what I'm doing, uh, we've all had them. Probably one of the best ones that I remember, um, it was actually at KRXK. Mm -hmm. uh, We were doing a fundraiser and it ended, that fundraiser ended on my shift. And I remember we had set a goal to beat the radio stations in Idaho Falls. But we had done such a good job. You had done such a good job. You know, I mean, we had all worked together to, you know, really make this fundraiser happen, you know. Um, and I remember as I got on, on, on uh, took over the board that, that night, we were literally within two or $3,000 of being number one. I remember getting on. And uh, I was so excited. It's one of the first times that I ever realized that people could actually feel your enthusiasm, your excitement. We were getting so close. And I remember when we were within $250, I started telling people, we can do this. We can do it. We are so close. Come on. And we did. We actually overtook the Idaho Falls markets. And we ended up taking first place. And uh, afterwards, still chokes me up a bit. I, I hear you, man. I met a gal out on the street, and she told me, she said, um, you don't know what that meant to us because our child benefits oh. from those dollars that you guys helped to raise. And she gave me a hug. And she says, I can't tell you how much we love you guys. And she says, thank you for doing the things that you do. And, and at that point, I realized, wow, wow, we do have a responsibility. And if we use it right, what a world of difference we can make. So It's, it's called perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it's, really, truly. It's a, it's a biggie. I, so we do things that affect people every day, and sometimes we just don't know it. Yep, that is so true. And yeah. uh, I really don't know the direction my whole life would have taken had I not met this young man named Buford who kind of took me under his wing under his wing, and said, hey, you can do this. You can do this. And, and, and honestly, Randy, I didn't know what I was doing at the time and that meant a lot to you. So I appreciate that because I, all I was doing was doing what I considered as my position, my job. And then I become friends with someone like yourself and i do know one thing that i did come come across later on it was i can be your friend but there's going to be a time when i'm going to draw a line in the sand and say this is dave your friend speaking line dave your boss is speaking now you better listen to dave your boss Mm -hmm. because i have responsibilities to my employer and my responsibilities to my employer might supersede my responsibility to you as a friend. If there's, there's people out there in this world that probably despise me when I was their supervisor for one reason or another because we can't please everyone. But 
Yeah, I think it all comes down to respect. I think that that was one of the things that you were always very respectful to all of us. Uh-huh. And so it was very easy to be respectful to you. I remember one time I did make the comment. I says, well, do you realize I get off at midnight? And you says, well, you can always come in earlier. And I says, I can't because I have to go to school. And you said, choices. Those are all choices we make. But at the end of the day. <laughs> I'm going to get on my soapbox here once again. Technology is fantastic. I love the computer age. But one thing it's done to this radio industry and broadcast industry, it's taking away that training ground where someone does that radio show for four to six hours and then has to be, be go in and, and cut the commercials and make sure other things are done. And that night shift, whether it was 6 p.m. till midnight or midnight until 6, was such an important training ground for the radio industry, and it's not there anymore because now you can have people put things in their computer and it plays on the air and sounds like they're there, or they just go what's called jockless and become a jukebox. Mm-hmm. And that worries me about this industry. It really does. It's kind of like with COVID. They've basically, you know, you've, you've gotten to the point to where you can't touch. You can't. I, I ended up going into work the other day. And, uh-huh. um, you know, there's, there's a, the, the receptionist there. Her name's Wendy. She is loved by everybody. And uh, I went in, and this was right as they were saying, you know, masks could come off if you've been vaccinated, that sort of thing. Uh, but I went in, and I'll tell you what, it was the neatest thing to walk around and say, Wendy, it is so great to see you, because I hadn't seen her in months. Right. And, you know, and she spun around in her chair, and she got up and put her arms out, and we gave each other the biggest hug. It was Aww. so nice. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that's kind of what I would like to see radio get back to, is that personal. I think the people, when it, when it all boils down to it, you know, as I look back on things, uh, it's the people that have made the difference. And uh, I've had people say, how can you stay there for 35 years? Didn't you want to move on? And I've told them, you know what? They're family. Hmm. And uh, for that, I'll be forever grateful. Well, that's awesome. Well, Randy, I, I just got to say one more time, I'm so daggum proud of the man you became from that little boy that came in looking for a job at KRXK. And uh, I am just proud to know you. And I, I think you're a wonderful person. Well, thank you, Dave. I, the feeling is very much mutual. Like I said, uh, you know, I've told you before, you'll hear, you know, for the rest of forever. And that is, you know, one of the best mentors I ever had was you. Well, and uh, you. I just, I can't thank you enough. This is Radio Guy Reflections. Too many people in this business who think that they're, uh, I guess it's a podcast, their stuff doesn't stink. You know, it's just like, <laughs> hey, look, we're all just enjoying the game. We're all just having a good time. Sports are supposed to be fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Let's go have a good time and really uh, paint a great picture for the fans out there. I wanted to be me. I didn't want to put on a show. I, uh, well, you know, I wanted to obviously a show, but I didn't want to be fake on the air. Um, what you what you get is what you, you know, get. That would be a fascinating career. I, I want to witness history in a way and see it and tell the compelling stories of it. Uh, when did you find out uh, he is autistic? When you get that diagnosis. It's not necessarily a shock to you, but it's validating how you've been feeling. I can't imagine what the future of talk radio could have been, or would have been, had Rush not come along when he did. This is Radio Guy Reflections. I want to welcome to Radio Guy Reflections a great radio guy himself. This is Jim Dillman. Hi, Jim. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Now, my radio audience and people here in California um, know me as Jimmer. Jimmer. Jimmer in the morning. Yeah, Jimmer. 
get up in the morning and you listen to the uh, local radio stations, which were all AM radio I started out at a 250-watt radio station in uh, uh, Excelsior Springs outside of uh, Kansas City, uh, daytime. So you signed on in the wintertime. You signed on at 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock. And you signed off at four thirty in the afternoon, mm-hmm. but at that time everybody listened to local radio. Right. So, you know, we were we were great. And, uh, worked at several stations over my forty-seven years. The last twenty-three here in the uh, San Bernardino County, and uh, twenty-three years I did the morning show. And twenty-three uh, but, years you did a morning show just outside of L.A., uh, San Bernardino yeah. County. Uh, that had to be. Uh, just a great experience for you. Well, it was a great experience, and we talk about the good and bad and great. Right. It was a great experience for the first 22 out of 23. <laughs> <laughs> Understood, then, my man. And then corporate radios thinking, you know what? We really don't need to pay people. We can pipe them in from uh, someplace. For- there's been some positives and a lot of negatives about what's going on in the radio industry. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about your career. Uh, now, we're seeing each other uh, on video, on the video phone right now. Uh, but you, you were in, in your office, and you show all these awards that you've seen in the background. Of a few of those awards that you've received over your radio career, why don't you tell us some of the ones that you're, you're the proudest of? Well, proclamations from different cities here in Southern California. I spent several years in TV uh, also. I've got boxes in my garage. Wow. Uh, more than I have room in my little office here. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I thought each one of them was an honor mm-hmm. that I got, no matter who it was from. Uh, it was from, you know, the FFA at the local high school, wherever it was, because I was very involved in the community here. Right. It's uh, the market that we're talking about is Victorville, Apple Valley, and Asperity. And uh, it's a good-sized market now. It's mm-hmm. over 500,000 people. You know, I, I loved radio. I still like radio. And, you know, it's just different in California. I was lucky to be in it when radio was really fun. When you talk about these awards, the ones that mean the most to you, uh, I, I got to go back to our my days in Montgomery City. Uh, I received an award uh, for uh, news coverage of education issues it was for the Northeast Missouri District, but it was nominated by the teachers there at Montgomery R2 High School. And they gave me that award at one of the football games, and I had no idea what was going on when they invited me to come down at halftime. That one, to me, because it wasn't anything that I aspired to, but to have the the community think so much uh, of me that they would nominate me for such an award. And I tell you what, I was crying like a baby <laughs> right on the 50 <laughs> yard line at Montgomery R2 high school. So I understand that aspect. Where else did you work at Jimmer? Oh boy. KMRN and Cameron. My first major station, I shouldn't say major, but it was major to me at the time was WIBW in Topeka, Kansas. First of all, I love those call letters. We went out over 12 states. Then I went uh, to KBIL, which was licensed to Liberty, mm-hmm. but we went into Kansas city. And I was so proud of that station because we we weren't licensed to Kansas City, but everybody knew us. Everybody listened to us. Uh-huh. And I love that. Roy Clark was one of the part owners. We got to be good friends with Roy all the way up until he died. And uh, But then I went to 
a major market, Kansas City, K-A-Y-Q, Kansas City. I love that because I love saying, at that time, we did at the top of the hour, we did the ID Live. Right. And I love saying K-A-Y-Q, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but then in 1979, I decided I wanted to be an actor, and I uh, I told my wife, let's, let's move to California. And I think that was during a, snow, a snowstorm. <laughs> I convinced her. But we came out here and uh, Suburban Station, Thousand Oaks, started there. And then a great guy by the name of Scott Brody called. And Scott was a uh, radio guy all of his So I went to the Ventura Oxnard, Santa Barbara, to KBBQ. We were an AM station and we owned that market, a country station, and very involved in the community. And I went to 96.7 The Bus which was an old station. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I knew all that music. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I understand that. <laughs> I say it, it, uh, spent a little time at uh, K-Wink in Simi Valley. But uh, when I was at the bus, 96.7, I did the afternoon show. And then I'd you know, jump out of there like 10 till 6, run over to the uh, TV station and do the 6 and 10 o'clock weather. Yeah. Uh, K-A-D-Y, uh, which was owned at the time by actress Pia Zadora wow. and her husband, yeah. and Rickless. And the people originally that I went to work for at the TV station, I always called it a scotch tape and um, uh, paperclip. Because we fixed everything with scotch tape and paperclip. <laughs> and Rickless, one of the richest men in the world uh, at the time, uh, he came in and then we had everything. I spent a little time just in television in um, uh, Twin Falls, Idaho, and I missed radio, and I missed Southern California, and so I only stayed there about five months. Scott Brody calls me and says, hey, I bought these stations in uh, Victorville, Apple Valley, and Asperia. I want you to come back to work for me, and came down here and spent 23 years, and uh, just, you know, it was just a great place, so still is. I still live here. So, so Jimmer, um you said you uh, worked with Roy Clark and you got to do a lot of the concert stuff with him. But I know where you're at, you've had the opportunity to meet a lot of celebrities. Name off some of your favorites, some of the celebrities, music stars, or, or uh, some of the things that you've had to meet or maybe been able to interview some of these people. Well, I got to be good friends with Reba McIntyre. Mm -hmm. And uh, first, um, uh, um, I emceed a nightclub in uh, Kansas City, Missouri called the Shoto Inn. Mm -hmm. And this was maybe, uh, you know, it was on the radio, KBIL. And then, you know, one thing about uh, radio, uh, you got to do a lot of personal appearances. And I remember, I, and I go up on stage, tell the same jokes, you know, <laughs> I did mm -hmm. at the nightclub before them. And as I'm getting ready to leave, the uh, manager comes over and he says, hey, Jim, he says, I need to, you to do me a favor. There's some country artists coming in. I don't know. They were downtown at the front of 20, 30,000 people. And, and they want to come over here for dinner. And uh, we don't serve dinner, but we'll have it ca catered in. And he said, would you stay and just bring this gal up on stage to say hi? Maybe she'll sing a song. I don't even have a clue who she is. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what's your name? He says, uh, Reba McIntyre. I said, what? Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, well, I stay. Just a great, great gal. Mm -hmm. Years ago, Bill Anderson and I were good friends. 
one of the nicest people, and there's several nice people. I'll forget a lot of them. But um, I emceed a concert with Billy Ray Cyrus, mm -hmm. and uh, I thought, well, this guy's a huge star. He's not going to be. And uh, he was just one of those guys. You met him once. He was your friend for a lifetime. Oh, wow. Uh, Merle Haggard, Buck Owens. Uh, Buck's got, uh, you know, Bakersfield is just up the road from us. And then there were a few bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens occasionally, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I should mention names or not. But, uh, yeah, there's over the 47 years I uh, had a run in with a couple. Few mm. Country music stars, more likely than not, are going to be incredibly down-to-earth people. Oh, absolutely. One story I always tell that when I was in Kansas City and just a kid, I had a guy tell me once that, uh, you know, I said, you know, I don't understand this. I, I'm getting pretty popular. He, he was telling me how, and he says, because you're a personality, not a disc jockey. And mm -hmm. I always remembered that. Uh, I'll tell you a, another quick story. Dusty Rogers, Roy Rogers' son, uh -huh. was and still is a great friend of mine. And, um, uh, so anyhow, I'm doing a concert. It was a week after Roy died, oh. and uh, Dusty was the opening act for Willie Nelson. And uh, so when I get out there, Dusty says, this is a baseball stadium. And uh, so when I get out there, Dusty says, hey, Jim, you got to be careful. These people are really hard to get along with, Willie's crew. And I said, yeah, okay. I'm, you know, I'm one of those guys. I don't, uh, you know, this is me. Hey, I'm out there. And I see him yelling at people. These guys are yelling at people. Guy that's putting on the concert out of Palm Springs. And he comes over and he says, uh, Jim, I want you to go out and tell everybody that Willie will be out in about 15 minutes, you know, to get your food or whatever you're doing and sit down. And uh, this, this sound guy starts screaming at me. Don't you dare touch that microphone. That's my microphone. That's this. And I mean, I'm thinking, okay, partner, just huh. kind of cool down. Well, he's still going on three minutes later. Huh. And and I said, listen, let me tell you something. I don't work for you. I don't work for Willie. And uh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell everybody what the guy that's paying me, <laughs> mm -hmm. the producer is paying me. And if that microphone's not on, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to throw you out in the third row. Do you understand? <laughs> and the guy says, I said, no, 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 no. We're done talking. This guy, and I'm thinking, I couldn't even pick this guy up. <laughs> Anyhow, so, and Willie, Willie wouldn't see anybody for the concert. Right. I go out, I turn on the microphone, it's on. I tell everybody. And Willie comes out, he does a great concert. Mm hmm. And this guy walks up to me, somebody that was on his crew, and said, hey, Willie wants to see you on the bus. And I thought, uh-oh, this guy's going to rip me apart. For, and and uh, But I, I could probably whip Willie. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Wouldn't be hard. He's pretty laid back. Yeah. They open up the door, and I get on. He says, are you Jimmer? I said, yeah. He says, I understand you were going to beat up my uh, sound guy. And I said, Yeah. Willie starts laughing. He says, sit down. He says, <laughs> he starts telling me about him being on the road and all that. And what a great guy. He thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Johnny Cash, I worked with so many times. First concert I did with uh, Johnny, I worked at KBIO in Kansas City. And we um, <clears throat> did a show at the Memorial Hall in Kansas City, Kansas. 
I'm back in this little room with Johnny Cash. And he starts talking to me about cameras and that. And I'm thinking, it's like we've known each other for years. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, it's just him and I in there. I think, doesn't this guy know he's Johnny Cash? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I get a call. He had not been on the road 10 years. Say, hey, we're going to be in Ventura, California. And Johnny wants you to MC the concert. Aww. And I thought of all the famous people that he could have. And same thing, we sat back there and just shot the bull. And he's just like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just one of the crew. You know, mm. I mean, he meant, mm. you were ready for another one? This is what this podcast is all about. Some of the, the stories. And I, I love stories. Let's, let's go for it, Jimmer. Okay, in the year 2000, I'm doing the radio show at, at KATJFM in Victorville, Apple. But after the show, well, I did the morning show, but in the evening I ran over to the TV station, KHIZ, and did the 6 and 10 o'clock weather. I'm in the office there, and, and um, the secretary or the receptionist up for us says, Jim, there's somebody on from Universal Studios. They want to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I go back and I pick up the phone and they tell me who they are. We're shooting a movie not too far outside of um, uh, Victorville, and it's up in Hinkley, and we need a newscast from 1990, I think it was, uh, that we can put in this movie. And I said, she says, you know, can you get us a, a few newscasts? I said, listen, this is a small station. <laughs> Ten years ago, we we don't we're lucky to have tapes for tonight's newscast, much less <laughs> ten years. And she said, "Well, would you guys do a mock-up newscast?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, we're all experienced, and we could do that." But I went and asked the anchors. I said, "You guys want to be in a movie? I never heard of it." And oh, and she said, "But you you won't be paid for it. We don't pay." And I said. But if you guys want to do it for free, we can do it. And um, uh, they, oh, yeah, I'd love to be in a movie. So we make up these newscasts. And uh, about a week or so before the movie, I start hearing all this stuff. But this movie is called Aaron Brockovich. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what's interesting. So I called them because I'm starting to hear promotions on it. I said, listen, before on my radio show and the TV station, we start promoting this. Are you going to use the, the tapes I sent you? And the lady says, no, no, no. I'm really sorry that we decided to go with Wheel of Fortune because it kind of fit in for them. And uh, so we're not going to use it. And I said, okay. So I went in and I told the news crew, I said, hey, you know, they're not going to use it. You're <laughs> on the cutting room floor. You can always You're say, right. so then the movie comes out and my phone starts ringing off the hook and they're saying, Jim, Jim, your voice from the radio is in this movie. And I said, well, no, they couldn't do that without asking. I mean, here's one call after the other. You're doing the weather. So the next night I go see the movie. Well, it is me doing the weather, but it's at the TV station and they just lifted the audio off and about an hour and 20 minutes into it, but you'll have the two kids, um, well, Julia Roberts and the two kids aren't talking to each other, and the radio's on, and it's me doing the weather on the, from the TV station. They oh. just put the audio. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> I call, 
I call the radio, I call Universal Studios and I said, hey, we got a, a little problem. You guys use my voice on this radio station and in the movie. And um, guess what? I'm SAG and after. Whoa. <laughs> I'm union. I called SAG after and uh. I told them. And she says, well, Jim, we're going to spank your hands because you should have told them you're a union when they called. But you should, they should have asked if you were. So we'll call them. And uh, they called, and then the union calls me back and uni said, Universal said that they would reluctantly pay. So I got two checks for $5,000. I can, I can and, handle that. <laughs> and I said, Well, listen to the union rep. She says, Now don't ever do that again because you can't work non, you know, you can't work for free. Mm -hmm. And I said, Okay, but. If they're reluctantly paying me, what happens if they would have been really happy to pay me? How much would have happened then? Well, I just received, now you're talking about 20 years ago, uh -huh. I receive a check every three months. Now, it's certainly dropped down mm. from what it used to be, but I still get residual checks from that movie 20 years ago because they were reluctant to pay me. Oh, wow. <laughs> It's kind of hard to hear sometimes on the television, but if right. you're in a movie or you're in the speaker stuff and all that, it's very obvious it's me. So every, and what's interesting about that too, and I didn't know, because usually extra work, you do, it's a one-time deal and mm -hmm. you know, that's all you get paid and it's over and that. But when I get the residual checks, they'll have it from international, other countries, right? That's mm -hmm. shown in, sold in, and stuff like that. So I got one not too long ago, and it was $164, I think, something like that. It lists what each country or each pays, and, you know, it'd be like $3.30 from one, and all it all adds up. Except one country on there, they charge me $11. <laughs> so I never figured that. How, how, can, how can I have to pay now, remember, I still got $164 out of it, uh -huh. but it would have been, what, $175 or something? <laughs> yeah, minus $11 and something. I thought, okay, they must really hate me over in that country. <laughs> <laughs> so I, oh, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, something that you and I have a little bit in common. We're both cancer survivors. Did you get your diagnosis when you were still on the air there in, in Victorville and, and Apple Valley. I got up one morning and I just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife was up to fix some breakfast and that. I said, something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but I have something in the middle of my chest. It feels like the size of a dime. Mm. And next thing I know, she's trying to wake me up. I guess I lost consciousness. Here's the ambulance. <laughs> you know, they're mm. loading me in the ambulance. Wow take me to the hospital and I'm in there getting all kinds of tests ran and, 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 you know, I'm, and the doctor comes in on Sunday and he says, my family says, I've got bad. He's got cancer. Mm. And, um, he says, you might as here, here was his words. You might as well take him home. There's nothing we can do for him. Here. Oh. oh, now, um, so I get home and, and, you know, my doctor, you know, she's worried about me or I thought she was worried about me. So, mm -hmm. you know, go down and she's as happy as can be. <laughs> I'm thinking, wait a minute, 
do I have three days to live, three months, three years? What? I said, I'm missing something here. Why are you? So this guy tells me there's nothing that can be done. And she goes and she gets a hold of this guy because she says, Jim, you're in stage two going into stage three. Uh-huh. This can be taken care of. Oh, good. But he told he told you there's nothing can be done. So she gets a hold of him. What he meant was, we need the bed here at the hospital. There's nothing more we can do for him here. Take him home. I thought I was dying. Oh, dang. And, I, you know, stage two and stage three is not great. But, um, it, it, you know, beats being in stage four, obviously. Right. right. So I'm a 10-year ten ten survivor now. And uh, the only downside to it, they did the... Um, colon cancer you know they cut out part of my colon and that. but then before before they did that uh, they found out that i had kidney cancer also wow and uh, so i was on the operating table for like 10 and a half 11 hours something Dang. like that two different doctors mm-hmm. so i only have one kidney but i feel fine i mean mm-hmm. i shouldn't say i feel fine i'm getting old so that's <laughs> i think that's got a lot to do with it mm-hmm. but everybody says jim you only need one kidney and i always say you only need one if you've got two <laughs> you know <laughs> but you know you mentioned something about how the community reacted uh and how and i know that if you were in that market for that long you had to have an outreach of uh of several people that were wishing you the best. Oh, not several. I'm talking thousands. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, one thing that uh, you know, and it's still that way. Uh, one, one of the things, one of the schools planted a tree with my name on a plaque. Oh. And I thought, well, that's pretty well saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> but they got a tree for me. It, it's gone. That's unreal. <laughs> tree with the plaque i mean the only other thing would be a tombstone (laughs) (laughs) we mentioned something right at the very beginning of the podcast about how radio has changed now we're both kind of old timers you started about 10 years before i did back when we started radio was still kind of a fun gig it was something that you could really sink your teeth into but that's not the case as much anymore is it well it's a shame because i remember starting in radio i wanted to be a disc jockey and you and i had talked about this but i'm not sure we're talking about the saint johnny rabbit years ago i'm a kid you know in high school and i used to know a guy in st louis and and back in the early what was that the mid 60s and that st louis was rocking i mean we uh ike and tina turner were still playing clubs down there chuck berry but i got to know a guy by the name of bob Cuban. And uh, Bob Cuban and the end men, they had a one hit wonder called the cheater. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyhow, Bob introduced me to Johnny Rabbit. Now, my Johnny Rabbit at that time was Don Patrimonico. And uh, but Johnny was the, the hair of the air in the 60s. So KXOK. Mm-hmm. And uh, he invited me down to the station. Uh, KXOK to a kid from Montgomery City and Bellflower was like going to the White House or mm-hmm. something, you know, and I thought. He said, meet me in the parking lot about, I think it was 3 o'clock. And he went on the 3 to 7 at that time. And, and I'm waiting in the parking lot. He isn't showing up. I don't see it. And all of a sudden, it couldn't have been more than 35, 40 seconds before he went on the air. His car comes sliding into the parking lot. <laughs> Jim, Jim, come on, come on, come on, come on. We get on the, on the elevator. We go up. And the news guy is just finishing the news. 
and throws it to Johnny and he says, now, hello, everyone. I always said, and I mean this with all respect, but maybe to one or two, the only bad thing about radio was program directors. You know, <laughs> I knew what made me radio change so much. Same thing. When I worked at 96.7, the bus, I was very well known and uh, it was an oldie station in Ventura County. And here they bring in this program director. I won't mention his name, but I think he's probably doing the overnight shift at Walmart now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jim, he says, um, I know, and he tells me, he says, I know you think you're big stuff around here. And he says, but to me, you're not. You understand? He says, I don't know why you don't get with the, the new radio age. I don't want you ever to say your name on the radio again. I don't want you to tell people what time it is. Don't you think they have watches? I'm looking at him. I said, you know, buddy, you know how many people come and go out of here? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm saying my name. I'm telling people what time it is. I'm going to do the show today, just like yesterday or tomorrow, just like I did today. So let's see who's out of here first. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so anyhow, I, I was the one that was lucky enough to say, oh, listen, they need your key because you don't work here anymore. <laughs> well, you know, uh, so, Jimmer, uh, as, as, as you're saying, the program directors, and that has kind of morphed into – what now is is corporate radio where you have oh, the, yeah. the big conglomerates that own stations in every market in, in the country. And, and I think you said it before that they'll have the same morning show going on uh, in two or three different markets. And that to me is a real shame because every market is different. I mean, it drives me crazy corporate radio and that word called consultants, which is like a program director that think they know everything. And honestly, they don't know a squat. You know, they just, they just copy what everybody else is doing. A consultant is an out of work disc jockey. That's true. Let's say up here. Now you can get the traffic out of Los Angeles, but it's the 15 mm -hmm. or 500,000 people. Now, everybody like to know if you can get up and down bear Valley road, right? That's how you can tell. I, I think I was very lucky to go through the 47 years as I did, or at least 46. The last year wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. But, yeah, but uh, I think I told you one of the best things, we go back to people that taught me so much, uh, Johnny Dolan at WHB in Kansas City, said, Jim, remember this, radio is 50% business and 50% talent. You can have all the talent in the world starved to death. But I feel badly for kids wanting in the business now because, you know, when I was a kid, that's what you started out overnight or part-time, whatever. But that's not that way anymore. So it's hard to get a start in radio now. Yeah, there's no training ground anymore because of the advances in technology with computer systems and worries me about the future of radio because that training ground is is basically gone. Here's where I agree with you on this. First of all, I think podcasts are here and think of the future. Right. I also think you'll be able to find that terrestrial radio is not getting any pop any more popular than mm -hmm. it was. Right. Radio. I mean, I do understand some of the concern because the expenses 
of the expense of running a radio station is unbelievable now. It is. So that's why radio stations say, okay, let's cut down on the talent. You know, the product that they're selling, corporate radio doesn't want to hear it. They want those checks coming in. They want the profit coming in. They don't care how you do it. Dave, and that's the stories that we're telling. That was when radio was fun. Mm -hmm. That's when you got into it because you knew, not that you're going to be a celebrity, but it's something you wanted to do and stick with. Now, those people can't tell stories like that right. uh, because it just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, same thing. Uh, but I remember going in at six o'clock in the morning and I did not, I really made a lot of money when I first started emceeing nightclubs, concert shows, things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember laying my head down and falling asleep mm -hmm. and then you, you wake up. Now you don't know if you've been off the air for, you don't know if you were off the air for 30 minutes or 30 seconds, Right. but people don't have stories to tell like that. Well, you know, you mentioned about being, you're telling stories. And and uh, several years ago, uh, my boss at the radio station I was working for brought in a consultant, but it was more of a consultant to just kind of get us excited about radio. And she, she put something into my head that I always have remembered ever since. We are, as as disc jockeys, are not necessarily disc jockeys anymore, we're more storytellers and being able to tell that story of the radio station. That's part of it. Telling the story of the radio station, telling the story of the record, and then sometimes sharing your own personal stories. I think that's an art that is being lost in radio right now. Oh, sure. Because remember, most of these shows are now are syndicated, right? But they can't tell what they did because mm -hmm. they're in a market and, Tennessee, Kansas, you know, in uh, Missouri, California, Texas, places like that. I have no regrets. My end came in radio. I thought, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm tired of getting up at five o'clock. You know. Uh, I, I would just like to ask you one final thing. Uh, as you look okay. back on your radio career and, and your, just say your life, what, mm -hmm. what would you say is the thing about your life that you are most pleased with coming from a little small community, farming community of Bellflower, Montgomery City, Wellsville, Mexico. This is rural America. And then having the success you've had uh, with radio, TV, and being in some movies, stand-up comedy and more. What would you say about your life as, as you look back now? Well, one thing about coming from a small town like that I really never thought I would make it. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, I thought, okay, this will last, you know, until like the first guy <laughs> told me I was the worst newsman. <laughs> so, but I thought I'll be selling, I'll be selling shoes in three months or something mm -hmm. like that. One thing that I always told people, if they come to me for advice as I got older, I never looked at myself any different than the people that I was talking to. And no matter what, some people always looked at you as a star. Right. And if they started talking to me and, you know, it wouldn't be long to us. I said, Jim, I, I just couldn't believe that you're just, you know, that you would talk to us and, and that. And I thought, why not? Right. <laughs> you know? I, I love talking to him. I thought I'm a kid from Bellflower, Missouri. That's lucky to be on the radio. The other thing I always thought, you never want to play the star part because you could be waiting 
on them at Burger King next week. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, I always feel that you're no better and no different than your audience. Uh, we have uh, a similar but different background because of our love of Montgomery City and Montgomery County and, and East Central Missouri. But uh, it has been uh, just wonderful to talk to you, Jimmer, and I hope we can do it again, and I wish you the best, okay? You too, my friend, and any time. I really enjoy it. We're on the radio. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say, give it to me straight, doctor. I can take it. Turn on the radio. You're always talking about radio. Radio talk. Even that's the stories that we're telling. That was when radio was fun. Here's a complete disc jockey show with all the modern pace of today's exciting radio. I mean, we are a bunch of weird people. You seem to know what you're doing. I'm waiting anxiously for what happens next. This is Radio Guy Reflection. 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 Welcome to Radio Guy Reflections, Dave Fannin. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hey, I, we do, used to do this all the time. Hi, Dave. How you doing, Dave? Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi, hi, Dave. That's a great name you've got there, Dave. We appreciate that. Dave, where were you born and where did you grow up? Well, I actually was born in the Midwest in Xenia, Ohio. Wow. Uh, my father was a school teacher, and we left Ohio when I was three years old, spent one school year in Washington State before moving to the San Joaquin Valley in California uh, before I was in kindergarten. So really, I'm a Californian. I grew up in California. I lived there until I was, uh, well, till 2011 when I moved to northern Utah. That's where spent, we met, here in Logan, Utah, yep. yeah. Spent three years there and uh, followed my grandchildren to uh, Fairfield, Iowa, where I live today. What got you into the crazy world of doing the radio broadcasting? When I was 13 years old, a couple of his former students showed up at our house. So they showed up with this portable cassette deck and said to my dad, Frank, you got to hear this, push the little button. And they were, there were recordings of them playing disc jockey. One of the guys, my friend Steve, he wrote an AM transmitter and was actually pirating over the air. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, it covered the town like a blanket. Wow. Okay, a little town in California. Uh-huh. My two older brothers kind of connected with them. And I kept bothering them and bothering them and bugging them and bugging them and bugging them until they finally just acquiesced and said, fine, come. So I went. I sat down behind a homemade board and played radio. <laughs> I was 13 years old. Wow. That's how it started. Can you remember first, some of the first songs you played? I remember vividly uh, a, a blue 45, those clear blue 45s of uh, Todd Rundgren, I Saw the Light. Oh, yeah. You know, when I was 13, it was 1973. Mm-hmm. So 73, 74, 75, those. So my, my brothers and uh, Steve, Steve, my friend, uh, they had been working or they began to work at some of the local radio stations. Now, I was still a kid, so I didn't. But by the time I got out of high school, I got my first radio job. 
I worked with one of my brothers, actually, uh, at a radio station in Los Banos, California. It was a free form, play what you want, rock and roll radio station. The program director told me when he hired me, play anything. No, you got to remember the time. Okay? okay. Play anything you want as long as it's not Sean Cassidy or <laughs> Debbie Boone. <laughs> now, with that said, I will tell you that I did end up playing some Sean Cassidy. He ended up recording an album in the late 70s with Todd Rundgren producing called Wasp. Uh -huh. And uh, I played a couple of cuts off that record because he was trying to change his image from, you know, the teeny bopper pop star to a, a, a more legitimate rocker. Of course, it didn't work. Boy, those are memories, aren't they? Oh, I'm telling you. I worked at that radio station for a couple of years and then went to uh, a radio station in Stockton, California, which was more of a, mm -hmm. uh, you know, more soft rock at mm -hmm. that time. And then also worked at a news talk station, really producing more than anything else. I would do an occasional newscast there, uh, but left radio to go to work because like most people that work in radio, they understand you're not gonna get rich doing it. Mm -hmm. And the rent came due and I was hungry. So I went to work. I didn't get back into radio until I moved to Utah. Uh -huh. Now in the meantime, I was still, you know, pirating with my friend Steve in California on occasion. And even when I got to Utah, because of the uh, advent of the internet, I started my own stream. I know that when you worked uh, in Logan, Utah, uh, at Q92, and then you also worked with me at cool1039.com for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. That was about the time when technology was really changing the face of radio because you could live in Fairfield, Iowa, through the Internet and uh, through that, that you could have this professional-sounding radio station and not have anybody there at the time. Uh, that you were going to be doing that and then get into your own stream. Well, you know, like, like you said, after I left uh, Logan in 2014 to move to Iowa, uh, I started doing some tracking for you at Cool 103.9. So I had a studio set up in one of the empty bedrooms, and I would record those every day and email them to you, and mm -hmm. you put them where they needed to be. Right. And I had people in Utah you know, friends of mine uh, would, you know, text me or message me on social media saying, hey, I thought you moved to Iowa. <laughs> James Earl Jones isn't standing next to Anderson Cooper saying, this is CNN. CNN yeah. He records it. So I did that for, gosh, what? how long did I do that? A little oh, over a year, Yeah, perhaps? a little bit over a year. You were doing middays for me, I believe. And But, you know, getting up at 3.30 in the morning, then, you know, sometimes having to go to city council meetings at seven o'clock at night till nine or nine thirty or ten mm -hmm. was killing me. Right. Uh, and that's why I, I, I just had to not track for you. I didn't like doing news. Around this time, uh, and this was uh, what, 2014, 2015. Right. You, you took a job in Iowa itself. Where were you working right. at in Iowa? I was working uh, here in Fairfield at KMCD AM and KKFD FM. Um, and being a rock and roll DJ, 
I wanted to have a show on the FM rock station. Uh, so I took a job doing news in order to be able to uh, accommodate my rock and roll uh, cravings. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing news uh, for both stations for a few years. And it was it's primarily local. I mean, I wasn't doing anything even statewide. Uh, a couple of my stories did get picked up by Radio Iowa and did go across the state. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about it for me, being a political junkie that I am, is the is coming to the 2016 presidential election. In that year or year and a half coming up to the 2016 election, uh, you know, the candidates are in Iowa. They're like yeah, the, the they're, beginning of the, the political season for oh, presidential yeah. candidates. Yeah. So I was lucky enough um, to uh, be able to meet and interview most of the presidential candidates. I was able to, you know, meet President Trump, for mm -hmm. example. Right. So I got an interview with Rand Paul. I got an interview with Rick Santorum. They came to town and I was able to get those. But I met Carly Fiorina and interviewed her, uh, Marco Rubio. Uh, there was quite a lot of them. And I met most of them, not all of them, but most of them. Did you have to go through press credentials? Did uh, the, 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 the local law enforcement officials have to give you any kind of training or was Secret no. Service involved at all? No. For example... The press conference I went to when uh, President Trump was running, I had a credential around my neck that said press. And I got it by contacting the campaign and saying, I want to come to this rally and press conference. And so they sent me via email this press credential and really was nothing more than a piece of paper that said press. So when I walked in the place, I went to where the press went in and they looked at me, and I had my uh, recorder in my hand. I, that was it. That's all that it was. That's all that needed to be done. I didn't even have to show them that press credential. I just walked in. Kind of reminds me of that old Three Stooges bit where they go into the restroom, and they, they pull out the buttons and say, press, press, and then Curly right. comes in with pull, you know. So <laughs> love the Stooges. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I just sat back out of the way, let them do their thing, but got to know the people that worked for the campaign. Mm -hmm. And that way, after the event was over, they would go get the candidate and bring the candidate to me. Mm -hmm. Then I would have five or eight or ten minutes with them or whatever it might be, depending on how busy they were or where they might be going next. And like I said, I was able to, to interview most of them, speak to the other parts of the other ones that I wasn't able to actually sit down with. The only, I did not get a chance to uh, interview Senator Clinton, and I did not get close enough to Bernie Sanders to say hello, mm -hmm. because he was just swamped. But er, just about everyone else, I was able to shake their hand, talk to them, interview them for four or five minutes or 10 minutes. And it was just, it was, fantastic when you have a chance to meet these people of power uh like you know the guy who went on to become our president president trump what was some of your your concerns or maybe some of your thought processes 
going in to meet some of these people that potentially, and with President Trump, become the most powerful man in the world. That had to be almost a little intimidating. You know what? I wasn't intimidated. I was some local guy. Never studied journalism except, you know, I had a rock column, a rock and roll column in my high school newspaper for a semester. Cool. That was my journalism experience. I realized they're just folks. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask a question or two or, or whatever that no one else was asking. And being working for a local station, I had to do my best to try to tie it in to what was happening locally as opposed to nationally. And I've done news a few times in my career, too. It's taking a national story and making that focus down to what's important to the people in your community and in that uh, that area of Iowa that you serve. I think that might be starting to be forgotten as the journalism is changing a little bit uh, over the last few years. And Well, you know, anymore, you know, everybody, especially national reporters, but as even local reporters, when they're speaking to a national figure, they're looking for a gotcha. Gotcha. I wasn't looking for gotcha. I was looking for somebody to be real. Now, keep in mind, when I was doing this, I was looking for 30 seconds or 45 second sound bites that I could use on my radio uh, broadcast, my news broadcast. But at the same time, I'm a voter. So I was approaching them as a voter. Why would I vote for you kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And that's what reporters, especially national reporters, don't do. Was there anything that uh, you asked that uh, you were surprised by the answer from uh, any of the politicians? Well, not at all, really, because if you asked them something, uh, well, I'll give you an example, okay? Okay. Marco Rubio. Uh, I got a chance to speak with him. And at the time that he was running in 2016, he was a one, he was on the job in the Senate for a year. When um, President Obama first ran, one of the biggest criticisms that people had of him is that he had no experience. He was a, a one-year senator, big mm-hmm. whoop. Right. Who's he? So when I asked Senator Rubio, I asked him that question. I said, you know, this is how people felt when President Obama ran. What makes you different? You've been in the Senate a year. He started tap dancing. Well, President Obama has been president now for seven years. Mm-hmm. That's not what I asked you. But he kept tap dancing. Mm. And, and that's what they do. So it didn't surprise me in the least. Now, the Washington Post reporter that was standing there with me uh-huh. as we walked away, he leans over to me and he says, I've been wanting to ask him that question since the day I stepped on the bus. <laughs> but I knew that if I pushed him on it, they'd remove me. Then let's talk a little bit more about news and uh fairfield is uh the county seat of jefferson county the population of the county is probably 16 or 17,000 and fairfield is population of about 10,000 mm-hmm. most of the stations here the, in the smaller towns like fairfield they are local and i mean they will for example uh you know they they do local news mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of agricultural news, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
local obituaries on the air. Mm -hmm. Done that before. Those, yeah, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, which that when I got here, that one just blew me away. I've never heard that before. <laughs> oh boy, you get um, some names, you get them wrong. People will let you oh, know. God. Yeah. Boy, the phones light up. Boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> but I think the most unusual story I did, and I'm going to ask you an unusual story. I believe it was in the summer of 1991, but I was just outside of St. Louis, Missouri at a concert. Uh, the concert started off with Ugly Kid Joe and then went into a Slaughter and then it went into Skid Row. And then the the act that started all the bad stuff was Guns N' Roses, the r famous Riverport Riot and I kind of thought when I got back to the station, I'd just call and say, hey, look, this riot took place. Uh, yeah, I was there. It was just craziness. And next thing I know, I'm listening to their their newscast, and they were using my voice telling about it. And it actually went to CBS radio for a while. Wow, that's, that's very cool. So that was kind of the unusual story that I was kind of known for a little bit in uh, Missouri. What was the kind of the unusual story that you had to follow in your in your career there doing news in Iowa? Uh, not much. It's, <laughs> it, it's rural Iowa. It's very quiet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very quiet. I mean, it was city council. It was supervisors meetings. It was, you know, local things, you know, so. And those can you know, get was, pretty, uh, pretty boring, can't they? Uh, yeah, new local news to me. Uh, I mean, I'm just not a news guy. Right. I, I like the, I like news. But I'm more of a national news guy uh -huh. um, than a local news person. My wife, she likes the local news type stuff. But, but isn't anyway, that more important for a station like in Fairfield, Iowa, to report oh, on absolutely. what's going on in their city and stuff? Yeah, I think it is too. Absolutely, uh -huh. absolutely. And that's why I was at those, uh, you know, city council meetings and and uh, school board meetings and. Super county boards of super board of supervisors meetings and those things. And I did do reporting on those. Absolutely. So uh, were there any opportunities with the county fairs or any of, of the community events that take place, especially in a smaller town, they might bring in entertainment. Did you have a chance to maybe talk to a couple of celebrities uh, during that time oh, frame? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This That's town, what I want to hear about. Yeah. This town is uh you know, famous for that kind of thing. Uh -huh. This is the home of the Maharishi uh, University. And a lot of people come here to, you know, do the TM, the Transcendental Meditation. Well, I didn't know that. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, there is a beautiful uh, uh, convention center here. And they have, over the years, brought in some amazingly talented people. Uh, and I've spoken to some, and I've done interviews, phone interviews, and others, uh, like Peter Rivera from Rare Earth. Wow, um, one of my favorites, man. Yeah, yeah, that, that was cool. Ricky Phillips from uh, The Babies and Bad English and Now with Sticks. Uh -huh. Got to speak with him. Got, oh, John Popper. Oh, from Blues uh, Traveler, from huh? Blues Traveler. Ah. Donovan. Whoa, that's a big name from the 60s. Yeah, he came here getting ready to go out on his 50th anniversary of Sunshine Superman tour. And he is, a, you know, he was in India with the Maharishi when the Beatles were. He's the one who took him there. And so I got a chance to meet him and 
talk to him for a while. That was pretty cool. I know that you've you've done some uh, special things. I think when you were here in uh, Logan, didn't you do something? The uh, I did for three years. I emceed the Miss Cash Valley. Challenge. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then doing that, I got asked to do the Miss Bear River Valley uh, pageant. Uh, and from doing that, I was asked to be a celebrity, quote unquote, judge hey. for dancing with the Bear River Stars. Oh, that's cool. It was fun. And I enjoyed doing those kinds of things. I especially enjoyed uh, emceeing the uh, Miss, Cash, uh, Miss Cash Valley pageant. I was, you know, honored enough to get to know some of the young women and are still friends with a lot of them today. Uh, let's go back uh, to your personal life, if you don't mind, just a little bit. Uh, how long have you been married now? And talk about your wife and, and how you guys met. Uh, well, I, I've been married for 26 and a half years. Cool. Uh, I was uh, not working in radio at the time, uh, but my uh, one of my friends uh, was working with my wife, mm -hmm. my future wife. And she and I would take each other to lunch every year on our birthdays. So it was uh, my birthday, but she was working and I wasn't. So I went to pick her up and we went to lunch together. Uh -huh. That afternoon, uh, Denise, my friend Denise, called me and said, hey, uh, what did you think of uh, Mindy? I said, I don't know. Who's Mindy? <laughs> Oh, the receptionist. Oh. And I thought, I don't know. I mean, I didn't speak to her other than to ask for you. I mean, she was pretty, I guess, but I don't know. And she says, well, she thinks you're adorable and she wants to meet you. Now, I found out later that she said, did the same thing to Mindy. What do you think of Dave? <laughs> Gee, I don't know. I don't. Well, he thought you were beautiful and wants to meet you. Oh. So she Chuck Woolery'd us <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, you know, a, a about a year later, we were married. Wow. Now, when you moved to, to Iowa, you moved yeah. there for a specific purpose, and it was family-related. Re uh, why don't you recount that, that story for us? Well, my uh, stepson, my oldest stepson, um, he ended up, uh, working in Tremonton for his dad. And he was at the time 28 years old and single, comes to Logan to live, meets a beautiful girl, calls his mom and says, stick a fork in me, I'm done. This is the woman I'm going to marry. Wow. Now my wife, she gets off the phone and she's blubbering and saying that we're moving to Utah because she's going to know her grandchildren. There were no grandchildren, but I said, sure, okay. So we moved to Utah. Uh -huh. Of course, they were married and had a baby. My uh, son's father, my stepson, his father is the CEO of West Liberty Foods. Okay. And they're headquartered here in Iowa. So he wants to bring my son, Josh, to Iowa. Now, I got to tell you something. My wife loves Logan, Utah. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to go. Uh, she would have rather, I'll put it this way. She would have rather stayed. I'll put it that way. Okay. But I told her, you know, because I never had children of my own. I was 35 when I got married. My wife has two kids. 
you know, we didn't have children together. You know, we uh -huh. were, you know, pushing 40, each uh -huh. of us, when we got married. So uh, I told her, I said, you know, um, I'm going to Iowa. These are my first babies. So we loaded up the truck and chasing grandchildren. Oh, wow. That's why I'm here. And I, I know I'm friends with you on Facebook, and you're always uh, showing pictures of your, your grandsons. And uh, give their names because they're just precious little boys. Uh, Wakefield uh, is eight years old now. Mm -hmm. He was born in Utah. Mm -hmm. uh, Wyatt is six. He was born here, but not long after, just a few months after, we all moved here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, those are Grandpa's good, good boys. I mean, I love them. And I, I'll tell you what, there's no way that I would have missed out on this. You're, you're instilling into those two boys a love of something that you and I both love, and that's the sport of baseball. And uh, tell, tell us how baseball has been an important part of your life and your grandson's lives. Baseball has been very, very good to me. Very, very good, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I've always loved baseball since I was a kid, mm -hmm. little kid. You know, I played Little League and, you know, through high school, uh, have, uh, you know, gone to baseball games, major league baseball games, thousands of them. Took them to see the A's and Cardinals a couple of years ago. I was so jealous. Uh, oh, it was a, it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. They had the best time. I remember when you took that trip to St. Louis, you had an Oakland uh, athletic shirt on and I think your grandsons had an Oakland A's shirt on. We all did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I'm big Cardinal guy, so I remember giving you a bad time about that, but you know, that that's just because what sports is. So, okay. Now, you mentioned something at the beginning of the podcast I wanted to talk to you about, your own streaming service. Uh, tell us about that and how that works for you as Dave Fannin. Well, being an old pirate, you know, radio pirate from the time I was 13 or whatever, um, you know, it, it, I can't just go out and buy a tower and a transmitter. Right. Um, but I can create an online radio station. And my friend Steve in California uh, tunneled into my computer and did it. Wow. He put it all together. Wow. And he and I, along with my brother and another friend, it's like we're pirating again, but it's not illegal, obviously. Uh -huh. You're not on the air. And, um, you know, of course... I, mean, you don't, I have two streams now. One is uh, primarily hits of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the mm -hmm. you know, top 40 type hits. Right. And the other one is more of just like a random, I don't even know how to describe it. It is so bizarre. <laughs> you can listen to that thing, and you might hear Led Zeppelin, and then a half an hour later, you might hear Doris Day or Frank Sinatra, and then 20 minutes later, you might hear Stevie Wonder, and then 20 minutes later, you might hear Willie or Waylon. That ain't nothing wrong with that. That ain't, so, that ain't nothing wrong with that, man. That's no, that's but, my and, kind of music. I I got the you know a little bit of everything in my own collection, man. So, yeah, my motto is "What's good is good." That's right. I remember us uh, sitting in the studio and cool, and we would just bounce off each other ideas and, and trivia questions and. And talking about music the whole time, and it was just a heck of a lot of fun with you, man. I, I, yeah, I just, yeah, with you, it was for me and you. I, we talked a lot of baseball and mm -hmm. a lot of music. <laughs> that, that was, 
Dave, this has been so much fun for me. I cannot tell you how much fun I've had. Yeah, I, I agree. It's been way too long since we've spoken. Yeah. Interested in listening to uh, Deep Cuts, Hits, and Others. No commercials, no subscriptions, no kidding. Or the 60s, 70s, and 80s hits. You can log on to shoutcast.com. Up in the browser, type DFE Radio. Dave Fannin Entertainment. DFE Radio or DFE Radio 2, T-O-O. That, and you can uh, listen to my streams anywhere in the world, 24 hours a day. And that's Radio Guy Reflections, a podcast about radio and the people behind the microphone. In future podcasts, we'll look at what makes us successful and sometimes a train wreck of a radio show. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. We'll talk with people who started in radio and moved on to success in other fields. Radio Guy Reflections will be back soon with another show about radio and the men and women who produce the radio programs you've loved to listen to. Radio Guy Reflections is a production of Dave's Voice Works.